Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good evening, Lake Church. Amen. I'm excited. We're going to finish up on Leviathan tonight. And uh, with that, I want us to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 7. And um, what I'm going to share with you is kind of give you a, an idea as to why we're not seeing what we want to see in the church today. So it's, it's going to be uh, eye-opening and revealing, not only help you in understanding uh, how to function within the body, but also individually as you begin to understand that there are things, and that's what these spirits are. The spirits that uh, we're discussing, uh, these high-end spirits, um, their goal is to create disruption and to impede the work of God in your life. And they do it covertly to where you do not unless you got illumination through the Word or by the Spirit of God, uh, you won't know that they're doing it. You'll actually think it might be something that you, you know, you're doing or something of that nature. You may just take it for granted that what you're doing is okay. You know, it's just fine. And it's not. <clears throat> and um, so we've got to look at this and, and uh, examine this because we shared with you the last couple of weeks that uh, uh, Wednesday and then the Monday night I shared on Leviathan as well but um, that he is the king of the children of what? Can anybody remember? Pride. He is the king of the children of pride. Okay? So I want us to look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7 and uh, starting with verse number 14 it says if my people, how many of his people are here? who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So he's talking about healing. He's talking about restoration. He's talking about protection because if you look at the preceding verse, uh, you'll begin to see that, oh, let's look at verse number 12. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night, and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens uh, so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Now, the word pestilence is not like, you know, grasshoppers and things of that nature because he does talk about locusts there beforehand. The word pestilence can come off as plague, plague. So you've got plagues, which are sickness and disease and pandemics and things of that nature. It says, when these things happen, how many know these things are happening? All right? It says, if my people who are called by my name, 
And most people will skip the next two words and say, well, and pray. If my people will pray. <clears throat> and uh, no, it says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And uh, who does the humbling? Does God do the humbling? No, we humble ourselves. Okay, this is vital to understand that, that the Bible over and over again, especially in the New Testament, talks about humility being on your end to humble yourself. For God to humble you, he has to humiliate you, and God is not in the humiliating business. Okay? Uh, so we need to understand that, the, 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 you know, the core work is ours, to humble ourselves. Now, I shared with you two weeks ago about the story of Balaam and how that uh, if we need to know how demon spirits operate, we need to look no further than the enemies of Israel, okay? And so when we look at the enemies of Israel, they kind of found uh, Israel's uh, kryptonite, and that is to lure them away through deception to idolatry, which would in turn cause them to be separated from their God and then easily taken over. Well, the tactic has not changed for the people of God today. And the tactic of the enemies is to lure you from, you know, worshiping God and putting your focus on Him and getting your eyes on something else to where it becomes an idol. When it becomes an idol, God will not share His glory with another. It causes the open door and access for the enemy to come in and to rob from you, okay? Because the devil knows that positionally they don't have a leg to stand on. Positionally they don't have a leg to stand on. You are linked with the highest authority that there is. So the minute that you exercise that authority with faith believing is when they have to leave, no questions asked. But if they can get your eyes off of Jesus and off of who you are in Christ and get it on to something else, which could be a relationship, it could be money, it could be something that you desire and have longed for your entire life, if, he can, if they can get that to be seated in the throne of your life, then they can have easy access. Your wall has been taken down, and they have access to you, okay? So we've got to understand that pride is one of the main issues that we need to look at, okay? So I want us to look at Ezekiel, because pride is very, very, very detrimental to the believer. It is definitely uh, the, the kryptonite that uh, we need to stay away from. And uh, I'm looking for this in Ezekiel, and when I find it, I'll tell you where it is. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse number 48. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse number 48. Now, how many remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay. 
Now, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah are known for, you know, in, in, in public preaching over the years, has been known to be the place in which, you know, there, we have certain lifestyles that were represented in there. And, of course, the main thrust of, of preaching has been against those lifestyles. But there was far more to Sodom and Gomorrah than that. Absolutely far more than that. All right? So we need to understand why the true fall of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed to where it is just in the Dead Sea area and, and is in a barren, desolate area that does not have any way of growing any kind or cultivating any kind of, of plants or anything of that nature. And the, and the uh, water is absolutely, you can actually almost walk on it because it's so... Uh, sulfur and, and salt and things of that nature but you know what Jesus is going to stand on the mountain praise God Olivet he's going to split it and praise God the Dead Sea is going to become a fresh sea again because of the Lord Jesus Christ okay but notice this he says as, as I live declares the Lord God your sister now he's talking to Israel here and he's kind of you know God it, you know he has he has some ways of saying some stuff. He says, Your sister Sodom and her daughter and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. So it's gonna he's gonna tell us what 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 caused them to be guilty of being destroyed and wiped off the face of the map. Notice it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had what? Pride. Had pride. Okay? So pride is absolutely detrimental in the life of a Christian. Absolutely detrimental. And so when we operate in pride, notice it says pride, it says excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. Well, you know, most people say, well, wasn't it sexual immorality and sexual sin that causes no pride pride causes sexual immorality pride causes gender benders pride causes these things because when we get out of you know God's system and we rebel because that's really what you know witchcraft is and that's what we operate in is rebellion rebellion Rebellion. So pride, rebellion, witchcraft all came into the human race. The Arum came into us. And so the, the uh, sexual immorality and all of these things are just simply fruits of that. Amen? And so we, we need to realize that. So God abhors pride. It is an abomination to Him. Lucifer's fall was based on pride. Pride is uninvolvement with God. Pride is saying I can live and do and act, make my own decisions and live my life my way, irrespective of God. It is exactly the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Pride is Leviathan. Leviathan is the king of the sons and daughters of pride. He rules over them, and that's what he looks for. He looks for arrogance, haughtiness, a proud look. See, the Bible has many different ways of sharing what this is. A proud look, 
you know, condescension, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. These are all detrimental to God operating and working in your life. Amen? Now, I shared with you about Job, and, and uh, you know, Job is, is one of the most often misunderstood books of the Bible because people are trying to read things in Job that aren't there. And uh, Job is really, I really think that you have to really begin to study Job to get the full, and I, I don't believe I've got the full import of what Job is about. But uh, when we look at the book of Job, we see a man that is put under dire, the absolute dire circumstances. In fact, there's not a circumstance that Job goes through that, that is, you know, not normal in human life but he got it all at once where some have it just here, you know, relational loss or financial loss. And, but he had health, wealth, relationship. He had it all gone in a matter of a couple of days or a couple of seasons, okay? So when we look at Job, we need to begin to look at it from the standpoint that God is trying to give us a picture of what it's like to go through test and trial and the various, and, and as I read it today, because the Lord had me read the book today, uh, as I went through it today, I began to see tremendous parallels to the phases a person goes through when they're under attack, when they're under siege. They start off strong, then they get discouraged. They get encouraged and then they get down. They start looking for answers and solutions. They start blame shifting. Then they start repenting. Come on, they start, you know. So he goes through all of these. And of course he has three friends that kind of come in. And not everything they say is wrong. And not everything Job says is wrong. But he does say some wrong stuff in there. I mean, he does uh, definitely not represent God, but we have to understand that Job isn't even as enlightened as you are about God, but yet he operated at higher levels. Now, you listen to these three friends that he had and then the young man that came in, the young man. They knew some things that most Bible-believing Christians today don't have any idea, don't have a clue about who God is and how he operates. I mean, they say some pretty... Um, heady and deep things but they also say some things that aren't accurate so much that God was angry with them God got angry with them to where they had to bring an offering and have Job pray for them come on now so you can have people in your life that mean well Okay, because after this catastrophe had happened, Job's sitting there in his ash heap, and he's, uh, you know, bemoaning his situation and trying to keep a good positive, you know, attitude. And these uh, three men come and sit with him, and they weep at, the, at you know, his image. They weep at, at what he's going through, and they don't say a word for seven days. For seven days, they don't say a word to him. And that really shows you really what true ministry is at times it's keeping your mouth shut and just crying and and 
and come on now, and just being there. It was when they opened their mouth that the problem started happening. Do you understand that? It's when they started opening their mouth. And sometimes we need to take a clue when it comes to this is that we don't always need to give our... Sometimes we just need to be quiet and just say, I'm here with you, I'm for you, I don't have all the answers, but we can look to God together. And that, that's really what it is. But many times we're loading our theological gun, you know, we're, we've got our testimony or something we've read in a book or something of that nature, and, and we try to apply it to the situation. And it ends up, even though the words are right, Hello. Even though the words are right, maybe the 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 you know the principle is is sound. It's the context and it's the timing that is totally off, and it causes more disruption than help. Okay, so we're going to look at that because the whole key uh, to understanding Job is God's. No, we got to wait for God to answer. God is the one who's supposed to answer. And uh, he answers Job. And he answers him by revealing Leviathan. He answers in the, 40, uh, in the, in the 41st uh, chapter of the book of Job. He answers with Leviathan. He begins to show Leviathan. And he begins to show Job's problem from a spiritual perspective. And most people do not know that they have been wrapped up in the spirit of Leviathan. They don't have any clue. They just think they've got, you know, some, something against somebody and someone did them wrong and they're very energized, they're very offended, come on now, and they think that they're justified in what they're offended about and what's going on. And so they're very fortified, very guarded, very shielded. You know, <clears throat> the Spirit of God's not moving in their life because they're just put up these huge walls for protection. And the same walls that they're using to protect themselves are the same walls that are hurting people around them. And they don't understand that. And so it just becomes this situation in which you know it, it it harms more than it helps but yet it's it's uh, motivated out of something that is very pure you know it's motivated out of you know being hurt you know we're going to get hurt everybody gets hurt everybody has offense and stumbles and trips and falls but then we need to understand that the enemy likes to seize opportunities of hurt and pain to be able to get this Leviathan spirit access so that pride can be built in a person through trauma, through a traumatic experience because he wants to get his hooks in you to where he can begin to express himself through you because see, that's what demons desire to do. Because when they are not in a human body, if they do not have a house to dwell in, they walk through dry places. That means that these, these places are not fortifying to them. 
They are not ways to access the earth realm and the physical realm. They have to be in a wet place, which is the human body, to be able to express and feel what goes on in the physical world. And that's the reason why when someone is under demon oppression, which, you know, you can have a demon oppression, you'll never be possessed by a devil if you're a Christian, but you can have oppression in your mind and you can have spirits of infirmities in your body, okay? The body is the closest to this physical world. It is still fallen, okay? So it's going to be the main gateway that the enemy is going to try to use because it's the most vulnerable gate. However, it uses and stimulates the physical body to get to the soul or the mind, the mind, the will, and the emotions. They're really not concerned about controlling you spiritually. They're more concerned about controlling your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because if they can get those three centers or monopolize any one of those, they can con control you and get you to do their will, okay? Which is steal, kill, and destroy, amen? And so what Leviathan comes in and does is he'll take, uh, he'll begin to move in this pain and this hurt, and it'll cause you to kind of stiffen up and get stiff neck and get very rigid and hard towards life and towards people and towards situations trying to be self-sufficient and independent, okay? And you know what? I just described a lot of preachers. Hello. There are a lot of preachers that operate in the Leviathan spirit because they operate in the realm of pride, okay? So let's look at the um, 41st chapter of the book of Job. <clears throat> and... Um, as I shared with you, Job went through the ups and downs. He went through, and I was just so shocked as I went over it today at a lot of the things that Job said, I've said in my life when I went through situations and circumstances in my life. If you faced any kind of prolonged illness over a period of time, there is this cycle of questions that come. Because at first, Job does not sin against the Lord by making a false accusation towards him. It doesn't mean he didn't say something that was, wasn't ignorant. It just meant that it was not accusatory. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't accuse. But you have to understand that Job did not have the information you and I have. He was not aware of an adversary. In fact, he likened both good and bad coming from the same source. Okay? So you've you got to understand that. He, he, he only saw that God gives, God takes away. That's, that was his theology. And you have to understand that Job was probably around the time of Abram, around that season there, right after the Tower of Babel. So he was in a different dispensation. And what do I mean by that? He was in a different... Uh, period of time that had a limited revelation of Yahweh but he operated within that revelation and they knew things that even some Christians don't have any clue about all right 
So he was sacrificing in his backyard, so we know that the Mosaic law was not in existence. Otherwise, he would be a lawbreaker because you weren't supposed to do that. You were supposed to do it at the tabernacle. So we see that he was in a different economy with a different revelation of God. As we know, the Bible is progressive in the revelation that it gives of the Father. Amen. You're not going to see the whole light in Genesis. But as, it begin, as that revelation begins to thread through the 66 books of the Bible, you get a complete view of what God is trying to say. Amen. So he did not have the revelation. He did not understand the adversary. He did not have spiritual warfare teaching. He didn't have anything like that whatsoever. He just thought, listen, God is doing something I cannot explain or know anything about, but I'm going to keep, you know, he started off, I'm going to keep a good attitude about it, all right? Just like all of us do. You get a report from the doctor, well, the Lord will sustain me and he will help me, you know? And then we go a week where nothing seems to change, two weeks and nothing seems to change, and then it starts getting to be a temptation to cast away our confidence. Are you awake out there? So, Job, I'm just going to give you a, a, a summary because I can't go through every scripture that I've got here. But uh, Job starts off good, okay? He loses his kids. That's horrible. Lose all, all your kids? I mean, three sons and I think three, or three daughters or, you know, a lot of kids and lost them. And then he lost his wealth because his flocks were his wealth at the time. And, uh, you know, isn't it amazing? Well, let's turn over there to Job 1. You've got to see this stuff for yourself. Don't ever take my word for it. Always go to the Word of God yourself. Um, now, starting with verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And actually, you know, when you look up the word Job in, in some of the tools that we have, they really don't have any kind of definition for that name. But I found a, a definition from one theologian that meant that Job mean hated. It meant hated <coughs> in Hebrew, hated. Now, does God hate Job? Who hates Job? The devil hates Job. Amen? And so we're kind of getting a picture. Uh, Job, we need to kind of see Job as a type and shadow of, of the believer in the sense that you and I are hated by an adversary. Amen? And uh, he hated him because why? Because he was blameless and upright. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect. That doesn't mean that at all. It just simply means that he was complete in that economy and that he walked a right road. Okay? Doesn't mean he was perfect because we know that he wasn't. Some of the stuff he says, you know he wasn't, all right? So he begins to um, introduce us to it, and he feared God, and he turned away from evil. And then it goes on, and it talks about his wealth. And if you were to equate this wealth in modern times, this is a sizable wealth. In fact, the Bible calls him uh, one of the uh, greatest of all the peoples of the East. So this wasn't just some 
thousandaire. This is a multi-millionaire, perhaps a billionaire in this inflation. So we begin to see that, that he's a very wealthy man. So why does the devil hate him? Well, because he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he turns away from evil, and he's rich. Hello. Satan hates rich believers. And the reason why he does is because money is a means of influence in the world system. So for a person to be upright and blameless and eschew evil and fear God and have money is rare. It was rare in that day. It's rare in this day. Okay? So it begins to tell us that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan says, well, I've walked up and down and all around this world. Well, the Bible says that he walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he what? He may devour. That doesn't mean he can. It just means that he seeks for opportunity to devour. Now, here's where we get it kind of messed up. Because the original language doesn't quite read like our English translations. So we get into this thing where we actually believe that God is actually goading Satan to do something with Job. And that just goes against the entire nature of Scripture because you can't take one Scripture and take it against an entirety of Scripture and make a doctrine out of it. And so this question that he asked Satan, <coughs> he says, Have you considered... My servant Job. Have you considered my servant Job? How that he is blameless and upright and there's none like him on the earth who fears God and turns away from evil. Okay? The actual language says, Have you set thine heart towards my servant Job? So he just said that he had been walking up and down and everything like that looking. And the Lord just asked him, well, have you, have you been considering? Because the Lord knows. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? So one translation actually says it this way. Have you set thine heart towards my servant Job? Okay. It isn't like, well, here's Job, go get him. That's the way a lot of people preach that. Hey, here's Job. Go get him. Okay? And, uh, but notice what the devil says. The devil's smarter than most Christians. I'm going to say that again. The devil's smarter than most Christians. Most Bible-believing Christians. And then Satan, in verse number, I believe it looks like verse number 9, it says, Does Job fear God for no reason? He says, have you not put a hedge? Most Christians don't even realize God's put a hedge around them. Has, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out, notice what's, what Satan wants him to do. Stretch out your hand. Did God ever touch Job? No, he never touched Job. 
but Satan's trying to incite him to touch Job. So he says, you put your hand out and you touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. Now here's another controversial statement that has been misrepresented. You know, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Now, most people will say that this is a transference. That for some reason, God said, Okay, I, I, I'm giving you everything that he has. That's not true. What was he saying? He was stating the obvious. Everything that Job has is in your realm. Everything, it's, it's within your realm. Now, God's protecting it. God's protecting it. Okay? But basically, he's saying, listen, he's prospering in the midst of your crooked world. And he's doing it because he he's, fears me. He eschews evil. And he's upright. Come on. Praise the Lord. He didn't just open and say, okay, now I give you everything that Job has. Go and destroy it. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. He says, all that he has, and another, I think King James says, all that he has is in thy hand. Well, yeah, because he's the God of this world. He's the God of this world. Where did Job prosper? He prospered in this realm. He didn't prosper heavenly. He prospered physically. And that's what Satan is after, okay? He says, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now notice there are several ways that the enemy comes, or Leviathan tries to come into our lives. Okay? The first one, he can come in through relationships and loss in relationships. He can come in through a divorce. He can come in through the loss of a child. He can come in through the loss of a, of a spouse. He can come in through a nasty, horrible breakup, an abusive relationship, things of that nature. Anything that traumatizes a person, Leviathan is lurking below the surface, and he's ready to seize, just like that Nile crocodile. He's going to come out with great power. He's going to grab a hold. He's going to twist take a person in a death row, separate them from all of their friends and family that love them, isolate them, and devour them. And that's the whole point of the Leviathan spirit. So notice it says right here in verse number 13, it says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys feeding beside, uh, feeding beside them, uh, and the Sabaeans. So notice this, that, that in two occasions, Satan will use people. Okay, in this, groups of people, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans, which later became, you see, the Babylonians. Okay, so, so you're, you're, he'll use people to come in and bring <coughs> some kind of trauma that will cause the Leviathan to get opportunity. And see, the problem is, is we get our eyes on the offense or on the person, and we miss the whole point. 
It, because if he can get your eye on that person who cheated on you or who hurt you, then you're unaware that he's actually given the old bait and switch. He's actually getting you to see something physical to get a hold of something spiritual. Okay? So you've got to watch that. So, you know, when you start finding yourself blame-shifting and, and saying that person changes, you know, when you think about that person and it changes your mood and you start getting <clears throat> depressed when you think about them or mad or angry, you need to realize that he's trying to get you to focus on something physical so that he can continue to intertwine in your body that kundalini spirit climbing up your, you know, giving you those, all those chakras, you know, trying to get influence over your body and over your mind. Okay? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So our focus should never be on people. Now, listen, if you can master that, if you can master that, you will, you will dominate. But most people can't master that. I haven't been able to master it, you know. Well, try to. But, you know, we need to continue to do better and to, and to press in. But the thing about it is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But what does the enemy want us to get focused on? Flesh and blood. You get focused on flesh and blood, he begins to do something secret. He begins to do something that you can't see in your life. There are people that their lives are miserable and they can definitely look at the decline of their life from, you know, have you ever heard uh, testimonies start like this? Well, I met this girl, <laughs> you know, or I met this person, or I just started hanging around with these people. Okay, most of all of these backslidden stories have some kind of, of starter, you know, sentence like that because that's what he uses. He'll use the Sabaeans. He'll use the Chaldeans to afflict some kind of trauma that will begin to develop an area of pride. See, the devil plays the long game. He doesn't play the short game. He plays the long game. So he is developing and trying to build something in you. Because if he can build something in you, then he can control that area of your life and begin to, and begin to uh, express himself or manifest himself through those areas. So people that are greatly traumatized, uh, they can be so built with fear that, you know, when they begin to try to be productive in their life, that fear rises up and it begins to control their relationships. It begins to control their op opportunities. It begins to set parameters in their life to where they, they just can't seem to break out and break free. You know, I wanted to take that job, but I just couldn't make myself do it. Why? Well, you know, I had a traumatic experience, you know, with the same job, and I, I felt like I didn't measure up, and, and I failed in this, or I lost it. And so we're constantly hitting a wall because the devil wants you sick and broke. 
People get all upset about talking about money in church, but there's no other entity on the planet that doesn't want money talked about in church other than the devil. The devil does not want money talked about in church, and he doesn't want you to know what the Bible says about money. He doesn't want you to know that you're just simply a steward, that you don't own anything. He doesn't want you. He wants you to think you own everything, and it's your money. And if anybody's trying to get your money, they're a thief, and it's just going in the pastor's hot tub fund. Come on now. I'm serious. I'm serious. That's the reason why he constantly attacks you know, the church, and majority of times when you talk to someone who's been out of church for a while, what will they tell you? Well, they ask for money all the time. Okay, well, that, that's just Leviathan. That's just Leviathan. He's gotten in there, you know. Come on now. He's gotten in there, and it's just the truth. He wants you sick, and he wants you broke. Because, you know, there's, there are people who say, well, you know, God uses sickness, you know. I went to the hospital, and I was able to lead a nurse to the Lord, so that must have been the reason for the sickness. Well, that is convoluted logic. God did not make you sick to put you in the hospital. You could have witnessed to the nurse without being sick. Hello. We come up with some of the silliest stuff. You know, you should be taking opportunities no matter where you're at to share the gospel, regardless Amen? That, yeah, that's just, you know, wherever you're at, you should be witnessing and telling people about the Lord. But, but the thing about it is, is we like to think that, you know, some orchestrated plan was there and that, uh, you know, God made me sick. You know, listen, when I was sick, I didn't even want to read my Bible. I did not want to pray. I was too fatigued and too tired to even think about that. All I could do is receive prayer. That's all I could do. Well, that's not the dominion existence. That's not the existence that God wants you to live. And there's some people that aren't sick, and all they do is receive anyway. Well, I'm telling you, it's, that's a horrible way to live, where it's just about all receiving, receiving. Serve, do something. Help somebody else, Amen. And so he uses uh, situations to come against certain things in our life. He'll come against our economics. Okay, so he, he you know, Leviathan will come against our economics. And, it, and, and immediately, you know, you don't think about, you know, when you're, when you're in financial straits as a believer, Leviathan lurks on the surface. And I'm going to get you here, all right? You, you don't think about the fact that you've got a seven-year note on a, on a car that you didn't need to buy or, you know, your Netflix and Hulu package that you just got or anything of that nature or that waterbed that you had to have. You don't think about that. You think about, well, I shouldn't have paid my tithes. I'm just going to tell you, that's the first thing that goes to it. If I had that money, I'd get tithes last Sunday. You know, I'd be able to get my, you know, my crispy chicken sandwich at Mickey D's. I'm serious. But you're not thinking about the fact that you, you know, bought Starbucks, you know, coffee that's $6 a... Come on now. You, you had no trouble doing that. But see, what Leviathan does 
He always targets the things of God. He doesn't target those. He's not going to give you a lecture on the fact that you went and bought skinny jeans. He's not going to give you a lecture on that. But he is going to give you a lecture on the fact that, you know, you helped that homeless person, and if you just had that $10, or if you just had that $50 that you gave in tithes, or if you just had this, you wouldn't be in the trouble that you're in. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, it's deception. Okay? And here's the funny thing about it, is Leviathan hates spiritual authority. Absolutely hates it. So he will take your disdain and your hurt and he'll not place it on Jesus because you can't see Jesus. But he'll put it on a preacher. Uh, some of you don't know. He'll put it on. Dads know this. Dads know this. Moms know this. Okay? Kid gets in trouble, gets upset. Decisions of their own making. Leviathan spirit gets on them. Who do they blame? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Well, it's the same way, you know, with, with you know, any kind of authority figure in your life. That's the reason why we're, you know, seeing whole generations of people go against cops. And go against, I'm not saying they're not corrupt parents or corrupt preachers or corrupt cops. I'm not saying that there's not, that, that all of them are pure what I'm saying is, is that Leviathan hates authority. He hates authority. So he wants you to make personalize your offense. Okay, so he's going to give you a face, and you're going to focus on the face, and all the while he's stealing out of the back door. He's stealing your joy. He's stealing your peace. He's stealing your, you know, your, your self-control. All the fruits of the Spirit are just being going into crop failure because you're so insulated and so protected with this need to not be hurt anymore. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people, well, I don't want to need anybody. How many have ever said that? Some people say that. I don't want to need anybody. I don't want to be beholden to anyone, you know. Even Christians take that scripture, oh, no man, anything, you know. But they don't finish it. But to love, and love is an is a interdependent relationship. I mean, it's not, you can't love independently. You, you know, you, there's an interdependent relationship. But, but they'll say stuff like, well, I don't want to need anybody, so I'm working to make sure that financially I don't need anybody. I'm tired of depending on people. I don't want to depend on anybody, blah, blah, blah. Well, that is the beginning stages of a Leviathan spirit that is trying to create independence not only from the people that you don't want to, you know, harass with your needs because it starts out pure. I want to be on my own, I don't want to have to, have to ask mom and dad for money. Come on now, it starts off, but then you can tend to get an attitude about it. To where you won't receive help. I've actually, uh, in the time of ministry that I've been in, I've actually seen husbands not take groceries to feed their children 
because of the Leviathan spirit. I'm not taking any charity, Pastor. You take those back and put them back in your car. Or you try to hand them money to put, give diapers for their babies. They won't have anything to do with it. Come on now. You do it in secret. You don't do it where they're humiliated or where they're You're just doing it, you know, right out of the goodness of your heart, and they won't receive it. Pack it up. I ain't taking no charity. Daddy told me never to take no charity. Well, Daddy was wrong. Your kids are starving. What plan do you have? See, this, these are things that build up in our lives because here's the problem, friend. If I can't receive from you, I'm not receiving from God. <clears throat> I'm not receiving from God if I'm not receiving, you know, from you. If I can't receive, there's people that just can't receive. They can't receive nothing. I've got family members that they were raised in such hardship. You see, that's what poverty does. See, poverty's a curse. Don't try to make it a blessing because it's not. That's stupidity. Poverty's a curse. And poverty doesn't just mean that you do without basic needs. It also begins to cultivate an, uh, an ideology. It can make you one of two ways. Mainly, it makes you to be very... Um, there's lots of words I could use here. It makes you very... It can make you greedy. It can make you be a penny pincher, a cheapo... Come on now. I'm saying the nicest version of this. You being a cheapo. Hello. I mean, where you're just, you know, it can make you very, very, um, how can I say this? Um, you're just not charitable at all. You're stingy. Hello. And it also causes you to not be able to receive from people and receive from God. Because it requires humility. Poverty can, not always, but I would have to say majority of time, cultivates pride. Because when a person does get on their own feet, they, they tend to take it to places it shouldn't go. Ingratitude, this is my money, my stuff, this is how I'm going to... See what I'm saying? That's, that's Leviathan. He is the king of the children of pride. Okay? And so, you know, people will get in and, uh, you know, they'll go through hard times or maybe be raised in a hard situation. And then when someone wants to give them something, they immediately either reject it 
or they give something in return immediately. And it's because they don't want to feel the pull of obligation. Okay? Instead of humbly receiving and being blessed by it, they're continuing to think on their own, how can I even the scales that have been tipped in their favor? They don't want any control or any kind of manipulation of their life based upon a gift. Every gift is suspect. It's akin to bribery. You know I'm speaking the truth in love. <laughs> that we're doing some kind of, you know, setup to where, you know, the person's going to come back and say, well, you know, I gave you this, now you're going to, you know, it's just like the Godfather, you know. <clears throat> he says, one day I will come and I will ask you of a service, you know. I mean, and that's kind of the way some people that have been raised in poverty feel because they've been betrayed by people. They've seen their parents betrayed by people. And so they begin to use that. Well, what... See, the broad brush, the broad brush is, you know, being taken advantage of by people. That's the broad brush. But the... But the, the small strokes, the, the accents that really define and make a picture a masterpiece is the cultivation of self-sufficiency and pride. And that's really what he's building. He is building a construct, an edifice of pride based upon and in memoriam of a traumatic experience. So you get taken advantage by somebody, he's going to use that means to be able to construct something that you will idolize and worship within yourself. See, this is how these spirits work. That's how we're neutralized. That's how we're brought, you know, you see someone that's really on fire for the Lord and you see them go on fire for months and months and then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. You're wondering where they're at and you call them and they don't answer their phone anymore. They used to. They used to text you right back and they're not doing it anymore. And it, 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 what has happened? Well, something has happened. Okay. And we've got to be more aware of what's going on in the unseen than we are on the scene. Because there hasn't been a phone call that I've ever made to someone who has left the church in all my years that doesn't involve another person. It, you know, it, it, it just involves, and you, you, would, you wouldn't even know it at first because they won't tell you. Because the devil wants you to personalize your offense. He wants to give a face to your cause. Okay? So he'll use people. All right? He also talks about 
a couple of situations, such as traumatic events due to weather or some kind of atmospheric disturbance that brings about a loss like a flood or a tornado or, you know, something there. Something that is uncontrollable to our humanness that causes us to feel very, very vulnerable to where, you know, when we went through the flood, that was probably one of the most helpless things I had ever experienced in my life. I just absolutely felt absolutely helpless that there was nothing that I could do to change that or to cause anything to change in that. It was the most helpless I had ever been in my life. Well, guess what? Leviathan seeks those things. When we're in that period where we're super vulnerable and we are helpless, we feel absolutely helpless. It could be a, tra a traumatic relationship, abuse, being beaten, being sexually abused, where you feel absolutely helpless. You, you feel like, my gosh, there's nothing there. No one was there to protect me. No one was there. Well, Leviathan's just searching right there. And he's looking under the surface because he wants to build within you a hatred towards men, women, people in general. There are people that just hate people. And they hate them because of certain scenarios that Leviathan has capitalized on. And they just say, I don't want to need anybody. I don't want to depend on anybody. And I ain't going to. And don't you dare depend on me either. Because I ain't doing nothing. And they won't tell you that. They'll just smile and love you, brother. Love you, sister. But in all actuality, they are checked out. Is this making sense? Okay. So he'll use something that brings about helplessness to cause you to be able to be manipulated, all right? And so um, <clears throat> we see this in the losses that Job felt. He lost his, his family. He lost his flocks. He lost, you know, uh, his wealth. But you look down at verse number uh, 23, and it says, or 22, and it says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Okay? So we're kind of seeing here that he didn't charge God with wrong, but he did say something that is not a statement of truth. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, that's not necessarily true. Now, that's true in regards to the revelation that he had because he thought evil and good came from the same source. Okay? Because he didn't know that there was an adversary. He didn't know that there was an accuser. All right? So, he goes on pretty good. Then we, we begin to see that he's smitten with boils. He's smitten with uh, a, a flesh disease that is very, very painful. And um, But notice it says in verse number 7 of chapter 2, it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. Who smote Job with boils? 
Did God smoke Job with boils? No. Satan found an entrance and smote Job with boils. Now, it says that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips, okay? Remember, he was tempted to because the devil wants you to get into that realm of cursing God. That's the whole test, is it not? So he uses his wife. Okay? And his wife says, curse God and die. And he, he says something, you know, he said, shall we not, all, it's the same thing, shall I not take blessing and bad from him? See, he thinks it's coming from the same source. But the Bible clearly reveals the backside of the story, okay? So again, the enemy is trying to build this suspect idea that God is somehow behind all of this and is the instigator of this. Because that's what the devil wants to show, is that God's the instigator. Is this helping anybody? Okay, so we see his friends show up. His friends stay with him for seven days. They don't say a word. And then... After seven days, and we don't know how many days were previously, but this period of time, he's doing pretty good. But then, it says in three one, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. So now, the enemy's got him, cursing the day he was born. And if you look at the entire chapter 3, you will see the word why multiple times. And that's really one of the first phases that we go through when we're hit. Why, 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 why? And it's not necessarily, why did this happen to me? <clears throat> it's, why are other people so happy and having a good time and I'm not? Why do sinners, come on now, this, get, this gets, you know, he wants us to begin to say, well, the world has it better than you. You're supposed to have it better because you're a Christian. You're, you're a believer. And they're out having fun. They're out doing what they want to do. And you're not able. Why? 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 He begins to say why, not only to his predicament, but questions that he has broadly. Because you become a philosopher in these times. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to get you, you know, philosophizing, if that's even a word. Um, you know, uh, about life and asking the big questions. See, but basically what you're doing, you're opening up yourself for satanic manipulation. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have a church. He didn't have podcasts and Bible schools. He didn't have that. See, what's your excuse? Why are you letting the devil play you and make you think that God is suspect in your life and that he's not going to do what he said he's going to do? The major thing that he used against Adam and Eve is, did God really say that? Well, it's the same thing that's going on here. You see, Job knew God a certain way. He had a certain revelation. He was operating in that revelation. It was... It was what he lived by. And he obviously believed it enough that when he went through trial, 
He didn't blame God or curse God. He didn't understand. And he, and he tried to give a, a, a statement that a lot of people will use to kind of show that they're spiritually adept. But yet it's still not a true statement. Not based on what we know as the reader of this book. Because we got the backstory. He didn't see the backstory. He just saw his family gone, his wealth gone, and now he's got boils, and he, it, it's, it's disfiguring him so much that when his friends come and see him, they cry because he looks so horrible. And they don't talk to him for seven days. And so he starts saying, why, 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 why? Now notice this in verse number 8 of chapter 3. It says, let those curse it who curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Okay? The, the, in the King James, it says, who rouse up mourning, mourning. But it's actually the word for Leviathan in the original language. So it's when we begin to start cursing that we rouse Leviathan. When you yield yourself to uncontrolled anger, you let a pressure-filled situation get a hold of you to where you begin to spout off all kinds of stupid stuff. There's an energy that comes with that. You're rousing Leviathan. He's coiling in your life. He's wanting to get you to believe that that is absolutely real. He wanted you to curse it from the start. Notice he didn't curse the sickness. He cursed the day he was born. He didn't curse the thing that needed to be cursed. He cursed himself. See, the enemy's good at making you a cooperator in your own destruction. Because in the New Testament, he knows he can't touch you directly. He's got to get you to, to uh, sabotage yourself. Now, he'll provide all the resources for you to do it, but he wants you to sabotage yourself. And then he'll begin to exercise, you know, his ability to get in and control the mind, the will, the emotions of some sort. And generally, it's going to come through the flesh, so the first thing that's going to be manipulated is your emotions. And that's what happened here. Job's emotions are manipulated because of the pain he was going through. And that's really what it is. Have you ever just wanted to die? Yeah, I have. I've been there. You just cry and you just say, you know, Lord, just take me. I remember through the thing that I went through, you know, I started off real good, you know, and then I, I came to this spot. Now, I didn't curse my life on the day that I was born, but I said this to my wife. I said, I just wish I would just go be with Jesus. Because I was so tired, so fatigued. And just didn't have the strength to fight. But thank God I have a good woman that lifted my hands and prayed. and, and yes. amen. amen. I didn't have a woman that said, curse God and die. I had a woman that <laughs> said, praise God, stupid. <laughs> amen. And that, that's a good thing. Amen. Yes. amen. So we rouse Leviathan when we begin to get gripey. When we start complaining 
and waning. Why? Why? Why me? Well, why not you? Hello. Well, I don't deserve this. Really? You're going to start using the basis of your healing based on what you deserve. You are on the wrong playing field. You deserve hell. See, your basis of getting deliverance out of your dilemma is never based on what you do. It's never based on whether you deserve it or not. We don't get healed by being a good person. We get healed by believing a good Jesus. By grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. By grace you are healed through faith and not of yourselves. It's the same principle. Salvation for forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body are the same, which is easier. Your sins be forgiven, take up your bed and walk. It's the same. But here's the thing. I've seen it on Facebook, guys. Please pray for my uncle. Please pray for my aunt. And then they'll put this on there. She's a good woman. Like you need that specification to pray for this. And that should motivate you to pray. And that should mean that God has to do something because she's a good woman. And they'll put something, you know, she gives to the children and she gives her flesh to the fowl. And whatever, I don't know what they would do. <laughs> put some kind of weird thing on there and they'll do that he's given his life to the ministry he's done this she's done that that's not the basis you're fighting from the wrong angle the wrong foundation that is not the foundation that shows me you're not going to get healed and that shows me that the prayer isn't going to work because the basis isn't faith and grace. It's based on works. So that's what he wants to get you. See, he wants to build in you. This is what he's saying to me right now. And he, he wants you to get a hold of this. The enemy wants to build within you a false religious system that gives you all the trappings and amenities of a so-called spiritual experience, but none of the benefits. None of them. So you're going through the motions, you're confessing, you're praying, you're getting on your knees, you're fasting and everything, but nothing's working. You want to know why? Because you believe you're fasting, you're praying, your confession is how you're going to get your healing. See, these are things that he's tricky. Yeah. He's tricky. He's very good at what he does. That's why he likes to get us into asceticism. You know, he likes us to, you know, dress a certain way and get into kind of different things, you know, where 
we don't wear this and we get come on he loves those rules now I'm not saying you shouldn't dress nice and be honorable to God I'm not saying that you shouldn't be that way but I'm just saying if you think the way you're dressing is going to give you some kind of in with God you're mistaken you have fallen for the oldest trick in the book You know, you don't have to wear those polyester text wheels. <laughs> Hello. I remember the old Pentecostal churches, man, them guys had the old polyester text wheels, and, and uh, you know, they'd wear them boots, and they'd dance, and I'm telling you, that, that fabric, it almost light on fire as their thighs. <laughs> Hello. How many know what I'm talking about? They make their ladies look like their mothers, and they get to dress like peacocks. The Leviathan spirit is tricky, guys. He's got multiple heads, the Bible says. Just as I've taught you, he's got multiple heads. He can appear religious. He can appear overly secular. He can appear in any way that you want. He's got a poison for you and people get wrapped up in how much I pray how much I read my Bible how much I how many degrees I've got how many come on and they think that's the basis for God to move in their life and it's not it's by faith grace and faith that's the only two but grace and faith go against the Leviathan spirit the Leviathan spirit is about works. The Leviathan spirit is about pride. I can't have any pride if it's grace. You mean just believe? I don't have to give anything. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. Just believe? Well, see, nah. Nah, I can't do that, you know? And therefore, you can't receive. Right. That's good. And so you see them on their deathbeds, and they're mad at God because Leviathan's done his work. I'm mad I'm here because I went to church every day. I tithed all my whole life. I did that. Come on now. And Leviathan's just sitting back laughing. I got them right where I want them. They're fixing to die. I'm getting them off the playing field. Because he doesn't care whether you go to heaven or hell. He just wants you off the playing field. Because you're one less player that he has to deal with. Are you getting to hold this? Okay? So, so he gets you to curse yourself, to curse your life, to, to, to curse your existence. And, and gets you to talking negative about yourself. And notice this is the phrase that we use, and I'm going to close with this here. It says, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befell me. Now we use that a lot as the gateway. But really, fear is just simply the fruit of a greater issue here. The whole book of Job is about pride. It's the whole book of Job. Because Job goes 
from a place of where he is trying to believe God, trying to figure this out and keeping a good attitude, to cursing his life, to getting pitiful and saying, why, why, why? And then he goes to the next step, which is self-righteousness. Because his friends come in, and they basically say this, because they live in the law of sin and death. So they know that if something's happening in the, in the mindset of this economy, and in the Old Testament economy, the reason why sickness came upon your body is because of disobedience to God. The curse does not come without a cause. And they come in and they say, listen. And they're not entirely wrong. It's just what the, the spirit in which they say it. But all three of them, and they say chapters and chapters and chapters of this stuff. How many got friends like that? Just <laughs> chapters and chapters trying to explain your predicament. They're not necessarily there to listen. They're there to tell you their two cents. Well, I, did you think maybe it might be this? You know, you get that all the time. Okay? Boo, you know, I mean, come on. So basically what they're saying is, the curse doesn't come without a cause. You've obviously done something wrong. Repent and God will help you. That's not bad advice. That's not bad advice. It's just the way that it came. Well, Job entertains that to some degree, but then he starts saying, I haven't done anything wrong. And that's not true. Even God corrected him on that. Do you see what I'm saying? We can get in this self-righteousness because one of the first things that one of his friends says, it says, you know, you, you've helped the widow, you've helped the orphan. He, he begins to list all of these good things that Job did as a major player in the city. But that's not basis for anything. So obviously, you're in this predicament now, you've done something wrong. Okay? Job did not like that. And here's the problem with a lot of people and why they don't get healed. Is they don't want to humble themselves to the truth of the Word of God. They just don't. They don't want to believe it's on them. They don't want to believe that they're going to have to do something. It's amazing how many people will get in dire predicament in their bodies... And they think they're just going to call you and you're going to go over there and lay hands on them and they're just going to be like that. Well, I, you're, you're here. You're going to pray, aren't you? Well, I might need. The Lord may lead me to deal with certain... Come on now. I deal with some situations here that might have been, you know, the cause of this situation. I open the door. Let's shut the door down. Maybe unforgiveness is present. Maybe, you know, practicing some kind of sinful behavior that you're not telling anybody about. Maybe you've opened the door through some, a relationship or th things of that nature. See, these things have to be looked at. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Now, gifts of the Spirit, man, they're as the Spirit wills. 
And if the anointing's there and the gifts of the Spirit is there, then praise God, healing can happen without all the diagnosis and all of the, you know, prognosis. But when it comes to getting down there and, 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 and releasing what's on the inside of you, there's something that's impeding that. And it might be Leviathan. That went over good. <laughs> it just might be that you have to do something. Yeah. You know, and people get offended by that when you start talking to them about unbelief. You, you don't think I believe? So you don't think I have faith, huh? You got more faith than I do? These are things that Leviathan loves to shout through people. To get them, you see, in a place of offense. And when you're in a place of offense, you'll leave churches. You'll leave people that God put in your life to help you. Now, God's gracious. He'll find more people. He'll find more people. You cry out to him. He's going he's gonna to continue to throw resources your way because our God's gracious and merciful. Thank God. But, you know, you may be prolonging your situation by being a stubborn, stiff-necked. Okay. All right. People are stiff-necked. Amen. Even God said that. We need to put that on a bumper sticker. Hello. And Leviathan is known for his strength in his neck. He, see, he begins to manifest himself through stiff-necked. Just, I'm not going to turn this way. I'm not going to turn that way. I'm not going to submit myself to this. I'm not going to submit myself to that. I've got my idea on what's supposed to be happening, and that's where it's going to be. And didn't the Bible say stubbornness is like idolatry? You're actually becoming an idolater to your own thoughts and beliefs. And God hates idolatry. So you see how the enemy works your relationship with God against you by getting you to violate your relationship with God, getting you to grieve the Spirit. Hello. Amen. Praise the Lord. I've run out of time. I'm sure they're still having fun over there, but uh, if you've got kids, but praise the Lord. Amen. Are you getting anything out of that? Not helping anybody? Okay. All right. You've got to get a hold of these things because this is happening in our relationships. It's happening in our nation. Pride is a major thing in our nation right now. The reason why the church is not seeing the explosive power that was in the book of Acts is because the church has Leviathan camped right in the middle. Amen? Hallelujah. We're going to have people that will be here to help you if you need to be born again. You need to be re rededicate your life to the Lord or baptize in the Holy Spirit. We'll have some counselors here at the end of service, and we look forward to seeing you this Sunday. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You're dismissed.